0: Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. You know, recently I came to the realization of something pretty earth-shattering for me at least. And that is, is that people can't and won't get saved by God without God's power being involved in the conversion process. In other words, we can't debate people into Christianity. We can't corner people into Christianity. We can't even really use logic uh, to to see people saved, it requires God's supernatural power to see save each and every one of us. So if in fact you were, are converted, have been converted in the past, think back to the experience of your conversion and begin to see the impact of God's power in that experience. So listen in and be blessed. All right. So we're walking through the book of Acts. We're in Acts 8, and have you ever stopped to think about, just think about the meaning, all right, the word acts? Why would a book of the Bible be called acts, all right? Well, it's how you act. It's your acts, and actually, the book of of acts is referred to as the book, uh, as the acts of the apostles, not the acts, as in the one that you chop a tree down, but the acts, A-C-T-S, the things you do. It's the action of the early church. The early church wasn't just sitting around and going to church. They were the church. They took action. And I want you, I hope today as you, as you listen, as you participate, you're asking yourself, what actions am I taking as a believer, as a Christian, as a convert to Christianity, what actions are you taking? God wants you to be an active Christian involved in the kingdom of heaven, doing things that God has called you to do. And so it's actions, it's results. It's the results of the disciples' faith and their partnership with the Holy Spirit that caused them to do things. See, one of the, the pitfalls of Christianity is to say, okay, God is expecting me to do something. Now I, on my own strength and my own abilities, have got to go make it happen. And what happens you get burned out. And you start thinking, oh, this is too hard. And you give up on God. And you give up being part of the church. And you give up because you're trying to do it on your own. Up here you see it's, it's your partnership with the Holy Spirit. You're doing it with His help. You're cooperating with him. You're not resisting him. You feel the spirit kind of heading you in a certain direction. You say, okay, I'll go with you, Spirit of God. I'll go with you, Jesus, to do what you want me to do. But I'm going to cooperate with God. And so Acts is all about, it's stories. I love the book of Acts. It's interesting. It's, it's gripping. It's like reading a novel or, a, or an intrigue, uh, watching a cool movie. You get to the end of Acts, and you're like, What? What happens next? (laughs) What's going on here? What's the rest of the story? It just like almost just stops abruptly. And I'll tell you the reason for that is because it leaves a legacy for you to continue the book of Acts. It leaves you a legacy so that you can keep the movement, the momentum going of the action of the gospel of Christianity for you to do something with. All right? And so... We make the mistake sometimes of distancing ourselves from the events of the Bible. We say, that was good back then, but hey, this, you know, I'm busy. (laughs) How many of you are busy? Right? Everybody's busy, all right? And, And so we distance ourselves from the events of the Bible, and we say... You know, God isn't active like that anymore. I mean, I haven't seen it. I haven't experienced God doing those types of things. I've never seen that happen in my lifetime. And so we distance ourselves from the acts of the Bible. And then our experience is like way down here. But what we read about in the Bible is way up here. And we say, oh, well, the gap must mean that God doesn't do that stuff anymore. And that's simply not true. The things you read about in the Bible, God wants to do in this day and age through you. Through you, not somebody else. You can't say, oh, I'm not good enough. I don't go, you know, I'm not, I'm a bad person. I messed up. God doesn't want to use me. Shut up. (laughs) God wants to use you. In fact, everybody say this. God wants to use me. Say it. Let me hear you. God wants to use you. Don't count yourself out because God hasn't counted you out. All right? So does does God still want to do the same things today that he did in the Bible? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so here's here's what we do oftentimes. I've seen this. And there's some people that tend to do this and others that that don't tend to do this. But there's what, what you might call religious intellectualism. Religious intellectualism, that's where you take the Bible and you see it as a good book. It's got doctrines. What's a doctrine? A doctrine is like it's a, it's a teaching. It's a fundamental teaching that you buy into and that you're not going to deviate from. And so you say well, the Bible is full of good teachings, doctrines, and, and even some people might say theories. And so they reduce the Bible to religious intellectuals, something to be debated, something to be talked about, something even to be fought for, but it's just a plain book with flat words. <laughs> and that's not Christian living, man. Christian living is dynamic. It's three or four dimensional. You can get in it and look up and down and and see different aspects of it. Every time you read the Bible, at least this happens to me, I read the same scripture. I might get something different from it every time I read it. Why? Because it's alive. It's active. It's for today. It's not outdated. It's not obsolete. It's for me right now. It's for you. So. Let's look at it with that kind of attitude, with that kind of angle and say, ooh, man, there might be an adventure for me tomorrow, Monday morning. There might be something awesome that's going to happen. There might be something that God wants me to do, and I want to be ready. I want to be prepared. So with that kind of attitude, that feeling, let's look at today's theme, which we find in Acts 8 of rescuing people by God's power rescuing people by God's power. And that's another term that you might use, a churchy term, a biblical term of evangelism, of living on the fringe, on the edge, man, on the cutting edge, not on the bleeding edge, just on the cutting edge of God's work in your life, where you might be in a Barnes & Noble reading, and all of a sudden you feel compelled to go to the person right beside you and say, Jesus loves you. I saw that in action yesterday. That's not a just a blank example. I literally saw someone do that yesterday. It was super cool. All right? I tell you what, you need to be listening to the Spirit of God because he has something for you to do every day and sometimes multiple times throughout the day. And you're, you're going to live an adventure that you can't even imagine. So let's look at Acts 8 where we see several several examples of this. It starts off, remember, we've been going through these chapters. I don't want to keep rehashing what chapter 7 said, but just as a reminder, chapter 7 is where Stephen uh, was martyred. He was killed for being a Christian, and there was this young man there named Saul. Now, we're not going to talk much about him today, but you're going to start seeing it. We're going to talk a lot about Saul uh, here in the coming weeks. But here Saul was approving of the killing of this guy named Stephen, one of those seven people that was chosen to serve the widows of the church of that time. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And with the exception of the apostles, people, the Christians were scattered. And by this time, there was thousands of them. Thousands of them were scattered all over Jerusalem the uh, the different uh, places in Israel, in Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. He went from house to house. He was dragging off both men and women and putting them in prison. Now, it's interesting, right? Before the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus had told the, the, the believers then, about 120, 500 people, to stay in Jerusalem, and not to leave until they'd been endued with power from on high. But now we see God changing the direction, changing the course, and giving a different direction. I want to just stop there and think about that. Sometimes God will give you opposing direction. Sometimes he'll tell you to stop. Sometimes he'll tell you to start. Sometimes he'll tell you to hold your tongue. Sometimes he'll tell you to tell somebody something. All right, the, God's direction is alive and active. And I've done this many times. God's told me to stop and wait, wait. Don't make a decision yet, just wait. And then three months later, a year later, I get the, the, the direction, okay, it's time to make a decision. I'm sitting there, I'm so used to waiting that God is telling me now to move. And I'm like, God, but you told me to stop and wait. And now, he said, yeah, my instruction is dynamic in life. And so we've got to be in tune with him and flexible and and moldable, all right? And ready to do what God tells us to do. And so here we're seeing a a new direction. And it's the circumstances, the situations that the church is in, they are forced to move. So they start scattering. and, And I'll tell you, a lot of times, the worst thing that you think has happened to you is actually the best thing that ever happened to you. And I want you to think about that. Look back in your life. The bad things that happened as a Christian, even as a non-Christian, you look back on them and it turns out that was the best thing that ever happened to you. Why? Because you learned, you grew, you, you grew out of maybe some bondage that you were in, maybe an addiction that you were in, that bad thing, your marriage may have fallen apart but God brought something good out of it romans eight twenty eight that says every all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose man it's the best thing that ever happened to you best thing that ever happened to you and so here's some stories straight from acts eight that will incentivize us to take action and evangelize and if you want to use a out-of-the-door term here, proselytize. Am I a proselytizer, a Christian? Yeah, absolutely, you better better believe I am. Everybody else is trying to win people for their cause. Why shouldn't I be doing it, and why shouldn't you be doing it as well? All right? Hey, don't tell me to shut my mouth about telling people about Jesus. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'll never forget. Yes, thank you. I, I'll never forget... Um, talking it was funny i was at this one company i was working there for a couple of years and it i I promise you it seemed like every other person was a latter-day saints person a mormon and so um man the president was a mormon uh people working there were mormons and so i went to town (laughs) they were trying to win me over and i was trying to win them over all right. And so, um, in fact, it's funny, the president of the company and I went up to Trans Mountain. He said, Steve, let's just go up and talk for a while. And so we went up in my car. I think it was his car and spent two hours overlooking the west side talking turkey, <laughs> talking, debating religion, talking about who Jesus was and his claims. But through through that experience, there's also a young man in the company that um, had had formerly had grown up in, traditional Christianity, and his parents were Christians, I believe, and, and but he had Mormon, he had married a, a Mormon young lady, and so as he was sitting there in my office, I began to, man, you say, well, Steve, would you get in trouble with HR for talking about, you know, talking about God in the workplace? Absolutely. I'm sure. Yeah, in fact, I have <laughs> come to think of it, but there was this guy talking, and I tell you what, I started telling him and reminding him of the grace of God, the goodness of God, that he didn't have to earn his way into heaven. But Jesus has earned it for him and paid the price. And I started reminding him what grace looks like and what it feels like. And this guy just broke down in tears, broke down in tears, crying, almost like like deep crying, reminded by the grace of God. Guys, there's people in your pathway every day. That need to hear about Jesus. They need to see Jesus in your life. And you say, well, I'm not perfect. And I'm embarrassed. And I'm not a good example. Start being a good example today. Get with it. (laughs) Do what you've got to do. To be the person that Jesus wants you to be. But don't let that stop you. I've seen a lot of imperfect people starting with me telling other people about Jesus. Don't wait to be perfect because you're never going to be. <laughs> it is never going to happen, all right, until we get to heaven and God perfects us there. But right now you're in the perfecting process and God is going to put you in somebody's path to reach. So let's look at some of these stories. So these people who are scattered, all right, they they preach the word wherever they went. Now that's that's a pretty high bar, <laughs> Everywhere you go, you're preaching the word. Now, I want to remind you, don't be preachy when you talk to people, all right? Be real. Be sincere. Don't don't be higher than they are because you're not. (laughs) We're, We're all at the same level, all right? Some of us saved, some of us unsaved, but generally we're just at the same level. Man, we're not. We've got a long ways to go, but we're all called to reach the lost and dying people all. You say, well, I'm an introvert. So what? You know, go meet, go, go get another introvert and talk to them then. All right. You say, well, I'm too busy. Well, you're, you are too busy then. If you're too busy to tell people about the Lord, you are too busy stop being so busy, all right? And so they preached the word everywhere. They went, well, there's this guy named Philip. He went down to a city in Samaria. Now, Samaria was a place that Israelites, Jews of that time, did not like very much. They didn't like the people there. In fact, what had happened is hundreds of years ago, the the Assyrian empire had imported a bunch of foreigners and Planted them in Samaria, planted them in that part of Israel, and so they were. There was a mixed breed there. There was a lot of people with a lot of different cultural thoughts and ideas, and and Israelites thought, well, these people are imperfect Jews because they've been mixed with a bunch of different nationalities. Thank goodness that's not the truth, right? It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter. All that stuff is such a waste of time. But you can see some discrimination going on even at that time. Where, wherever there's humans, there's discrimination, right? And so Philip went down to the city of, of Samaria and he proclaimed the Messiah. He proclaimed Jesus. The Messiah means the, the Savior. And he, he, or the chosen one, he said he was proclaiming Jesus. And I'll tell you what. Don't ever be afraid to to express the word Jesus. Don't ever be afraid to bring it up in conversation. We always like to mask Jesus with God. You know, well, God, do you believe in God? And that's a good starter. But get to the place where the word Jesus comes out of your mouth because Jesus is the most powerful name on earth. Demons shake, all right? Sickness quakes. You say the name of Jesus, and foundations of bad stuff start shaking up and breaking down, and the mere name of Jesus, Jesus is alive, he's active, and so when crowds, look at this, Philip was a, he got crowds together, he... Uh, They heard Philip. They saw the signs he performed that God was using him mightily in miracles. And uh, and so, in fact, I want to say this, and this is the point that I really want to make today, is conversion. In other words, somebody going from lost to found, non-Christian to Christian, uh, depressed to having hope in their lives because of Jesus. It always requires the power of God. It always requires the power of God. Uh, That's why Jesus told his disciples, don't leave Jerusalem until you have the power of God in you to see people uh, saved. And so they paid close attention to him with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Oh, man, I can't wait until there's great joy in El Paso because the mighty move of God in this place. And guess what? It's happening, man. When we're at the high school that we that we get to go to every week in Irvin High School, man, we I mean, these kids are hungry for God. They're hungry. This one little girl came in. She was little. I mean, she's a senior, but she came in and she said, I'm just looking. I want to have a relationship with God. And she did not have a background or much of a background. I'm telling you, people are hungry for God. If you'll start shining your light, people will come. We're in a season of, of openness right now, believe it or not, it may not seem like it with you know you, I got KVIA coming on my phone, and like every, every text I get is bad news. Some kid in Anthony machete's his mom. I mean, horrible news. Guess what? That's producing a hunger in people's hearts for God, because they think this world is hopeless, which it is. Amen. And we're here to shine our light. And so uh, remember this, people are converted only by the power of God. You're not going to convince them. You're not going to argue them into a corner. You're not going to intellectualize them to death. It is the power of God that's going to save people from hell. It's the power of God. It's not our power, it's not our smarts, it's not our abilities. Man, we got to depend on God and the Spirit of God every minute of every day, especially if we're going to start telling people about the Lord, which is what we're supposed to do. Look at this, just to support this statement here. Jesus never saved anybody without the power of God. I challenge you to go through all the stories, and Matthew, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, <laughs> you'd think I'd be able to... Spit that out a little faster. But um, you, he went through every conversion. The power of God was present in heaven. And that's the point that I want to make today. I want to make sure we, we come away with this. There's a woman at the well. And they're close to Samaria, in fact. And Jesus sat down. It was a, he was tired. He began to talk to her. And he had insight into her, the fact that she was messing around with different men. And that, that insight... That word of wisdom or understanding made that woman run into the city, bring people out, and tons of people were converted because of the power of God. The power of God. You look at this young, paralyzed man that was, he had four guys, they dug a hole through the ceiling where Jesus was and let the guy down. What was the first thing that Jesus told him? He said, Your sins are forgiven. He was converted. And then the power of God raised him up off the mat. And he took his mat and went out of that place completely well. Zacchaeus. (laughs) Can you imagine Zacchaeus? So he was in, I can't remember the type of a tree. Sycamore tree. Now, sycamore trees are not tall. They're actually fairly short. And so what happens, there's a crowd in his town. And Zacchaeus saw that Jesus was coming that way. So he ran ahead where Jesus was, was coming. He climbed up a sycamore tree the sycamore tree is probably about this tall. And so he's out on a branch waiting for Jesus to come by. And the Bible says that Jesus looks up to him. Well, their faces were probably about this close. (laughs) And he looks up at Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus is looking down at him. And he says, Zacchaeus, he calls him by name, the power of God. The power of God. Let Jesus know this guy's name. He says, I want to eat at your house tonight. And Zacchaeus, his life was changed by the power of God. Because that night when he had dinner with Jesus, he said, see, he was a tax collector. He he cheated people out of their money. He said, see if I've ever cheated anybody out of their money. I'm giving them four times back. The power of God changed Zacchaeus' life. Think about your life. Was not your life changed by the power of God? The power of God, not some slick church service or a super articulate guy or gal that talked to you. No, no. The power of God is what saves people. Praise God. Man, I could go on and on, but I can't. All right. In fact, it's 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 documented. Twenty-five percent of modern day Muslims have given their heart to the Lord. Christian people, Muslims who've converted to Christianity, 25% of converts, of Muslim converts have seen a vision from God about Jesus, or they've had a dream. That's the power of God that changes people's lives. Praise the Lord. Well, we go on to another story. Read about Philip. And so at that time, there was a guy named Simon, all right, who practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was somebody great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. And they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with a sorcery. Now when they believed, when they believed, Philip uh, also proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of heaven there. Let me see if I'm missing something. I feel like I'm not doing that right. But anyways, proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of heaven. And, and the name of Jesus, and they were baptized, both men and women. And Simon himself believed as well. And he was baptized. He was converted. All right? His life was changed by the power of God. And he followed Philip everywhere. And he was astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. Again, the power of God gets our attention, it gets our attention. And but I want to go back to this because Philip was proclaiming good news. Let me tell you what: if I come to you every Sunday, and I tell you if you don't get saved, you're going to hell. Your life—you look at yourself in the the mirror. You're a miserable person. You need Jesus. How many people are going to be coming to Jesus with that kind of message? (laughs) You know, it's good news it's good news. Yes, we're stinky and bad and terrible people. We're sinners, praise God. But we're sinners saved by grace. And the fact of the matter is the good news is that Jesus comes into our life and he brings joy and peace and he makes Christianity appealing and he makes God appealing to us, which he is. And he gives us grace and mercy. The good news is and look, people flock to that message. Why? Because it's the truth of God. It's the truth of God. I despise legalism. I despise religiosity. I want the real deal. People are shocked whenever I talk to them about, uh, about the Lord. I say, "I'm not a religious person. I'm not I don't want to be a religious person. Religion is death, but relationship with Jesus is life is life. Now, does God have rules? Yes, of course he has rules. Why? Because he wants to keep me out of trouble. But I don't use the rules to get into his good graces. I get into his good graces because Jesus already paid the price for all my wrongdoing. And then he changes me inside and I start wanting to do the wrong, right things. And, and I don't want to do the wrong things anymore. That's the change of God and the power of God at work in, a, in our life. And so, anyways, we, we read on. Uh, oh, one thing about power here. I love this. In 2 Timothy, so God's power saves people. We don't remember that. But in 2 Timothy 3, Paul is, Paul. that guy Saul, his name was changed to Paul eventually. And he wrote 2 Timothy 3 to, to his spiritual son Timothy. And he said, Mark, but mark this. He said, there will be terrible times in the last days. Pretty terrible times right now, right? <laughs> Horrible news that we hear and things that we see. He says, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, blah, 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 blah. All the way down until verse 5 where he says, and these people are going to have a form of godliness but denying the power. Guys, we can't afford to, to fall into that. You see denominations, Christian denominations, start off with the power of God and decline slowly but surely until they degenerate into religious intellectualism and they boil God down to something of a figment of your imagination. We can't afford to let that happen. It's the power of God that saves the the gospel. It says in, in Romans 1, the gospel has an inherent power in of itself that saves people who believe. The Word of God is powerful. The Spirit of God is powerful. The presence of God is powerful. Worshiping God is powerful. Studying Scripture is powerful. I'm telling you what, coming to church should be powerful. It should be transformational. It should be life-changing. So let's never have a form of godliness denying the power of God. What a waste. What a tragedy. Let's read on in verse 14 of Acts 8. When the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. They arrived and they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on them. They had simply been baptized in the name of Jesus. In other words, they'd been been baptized in water. And next Sunday, by the way, we're we're going to be uh, talking a little bit during the brunch about, have you been baptized in water? You know, that's biblical. You need to be, once you give your heart to Jesus, you want to be baptized in water as evidence. So we'll talk, we'll chat about that a little bit. And also this Wednesday night, if you don't know how to evangelize, if you don't know how to share your faith with someone powerfully, come on Wednesday night and we're going to have a little bit of a workshop to show you the practical steps of how to lead someone to Jesus. One of the most exciting things in the world. I love it. And I haven't traveled much lately, but I love it when, when my job uh, takes me to, like, Washington, D.C. or New York, one of these East Coast uh, places, because I always have to get a taxi or an Uber or some, somebody to take me to where I'm going. And inevitably, I'll have somebody from Ethiopia, I'll have somebody from, uh, shoot, even, um, well, any one of those African or, or, or uh, Middle Eastern countries. And I get to share my faith with them. It's the most exciting. I look forward to it. I'm praying in the back of the car. Lord, show me how our conversation can lead to the Lord. So this Wednesday night, come and we can show you how to engage people in sharing your faith. It's a wonderful experience. So they arrived. They prayed for the new believers. Uh, Peter and John placed their hands on them. They received the Holy Spirit. And I find it interesting that the early church, it was like, you get saved. You get baptized in water. And you get filled with the Holy Spirit, period. That was just the way that it worked. That's the expectation. And I think many of us here have not received the infilling of the Holy Spirit. God wants to give you that gift. He wants to give you that gift. It's not weird. It's not crazy. It's not strange. It's not odd. It's powerful. Powerful. You need the infilling of the Holy Spirit in your life to live the life that God wants you to live. So, you're not living in your own strength, but you're living in the power of God. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. (laughs) Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Hey, Hey, you know what? Here is 200 bucks. Show me how to do that. All right? He wanted that power. Well, it showed that there was still something wrong in Simon's heart. He was doing it for his own selfish purposes instead of for the purpose of God to expand the kingdom of heaven. So he offered them money. He said, give me this ability so that everybody I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Well, Peter turns around. He's one of the 12 apostles. He turns around. and He says, may your money perish with you. He rebuked him. All right. Sometimes it's okay to rebuke people. <laughs> you know, if you're led by God to get on to, them, to exhort them. I was on a phone call with somebody recently and I got on to them. You know, there's two sides to encouragement. There's encouragement and then there's exhortation. All right. Encouragement is, come on, you can do this. You can you're awesome, man. You can do it. Exhortation is, get your butt up and let's go and you can make it. And I don't want you to sit here feeling sorry for yourself. Let's go get them, man. That's exhortation. And so Peter was like jumping on this guy. (laughs) He says, "Your your, your money perished with you. You thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Come on, dude. He said, you have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and praise the Lord in hope that he might forgive you and have, uh, for having such a thought in your heart. Sometimes, sometimes evangelism has courageous confrontation. And you have to be led of the Spirit because you can be too hardcore and, and drive people away. But sometimes, you know, an addict needs to be told, you need to stop. You need to stop, you know, and get on to people. And then other times the Spirit tells you to show love and encouragement. You just got to listen to God. He's going to show you how to handle various situations. It's so important. It's so important to spend time with Jesus, learning to hear his voice, reading the Bible, seeing what his voice sounds like, and learning to follow the Lord, being a disciple as we're supposed to. And so he says, repent. Um, Now look at this. In verse, uh, my eyes aren't. Mistaken, I think it's verse 23. Yeah. He says, look at this. For I see. Now, last Sunday, we talked about the unseen. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. And when you're close to God, God's going to show you things about other people. And when you tell those people the things that you know about them that you shouldn't know about them, it's the power of God and it gets their attention. And as we talk about the gifts of the Spirit here in the next in the coming weeks, you'll see God wants to use you that way. He wants to use you that way, and it's exciting. It's thrilling. It's terrifying. It's scary. It makes your palms sweat. It makes you want to go run and hide in a hole sometimes. But when you go with God, He's going to ask you things that push you beyond your, <laughs> your limits, push you beyond your comfort zone sometimes. All right. So Simon answers. <laughs> Look at this. He says. Pray to the Lord for me that nothing that you've said may happen. And that indicates, even though we don't know any more about Simon, God changed that guy's life. He changed that guy's life, and he's changing your life as well. He's changing my life as well. All right? So after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan visions. villages. Now let's just race through this last this last story of Philip and the, the Ethiopian. You see there's multiple stories in this one chapter. If you get the text, the daily text, this is going to lead you through this, uh, this week, Monday through Friday. So Philip and the, the, the Ethiopian. So the angel, uh, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And I'm telling you, God leads you, wants to lead you this way in these days. Don't think that you can't hear the voice of God. You can. Are you going to hear him audibly? No, most likely not. You're going to hear him in your soul, in your mind, but God's going to guide you, all right? So we got to listen. And so he starts out, that's already the power of God, by the way. Go down to a certain place. He starts out, and, and he's on his way. He meets an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of, and I thought it was Candace, but here's um, Kendike, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Look at that. Somebody was hungry for God from a different foreign country and somehow came to Jerusalem. He, had, he was a God-fearing guy. And you're going to come in contact with people who are already God-fearing. They just need to hear more. This little girl from, from uh, the school that we go to every week, she, she said, I want to know more about God, but I don't know where to start. And you can be the person that tells them where to start. Look, and pulled out her phone. Let's get the Bible app installed on your phone. Look, let's start looking at Mark. Let's read in Mark. You can read. I told her, read 10 minutes a day. And then just spend five minutes talking to God. Talking to God. So you give them little, little bites of what they can do. One little step that they can take. Because they don't know what to do. And you can be the person who shows them what to do. And so uh, here's this, this man. He's a worshiper. He's on his way home. He's sitting on the chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. Many people are already reading their Bibles. I ran into a guy. Shoot. I know I'm full of stories today, I'm sorry, but I ran into a guy that I used to work with at the, uh, the grocery store, and uh, I ran up to him, I said, hey man, how's it going? Well, way back when, I'd given him a Bible, I'd given him a Bible, and I said, here, read this, I showed him where to start reading, and I haven't seen this guy in years, and I asked him, I won't say his name, I said, are you reading your Bible? He said, yeah, I read it every day. <laughs> You can be the person that shows the other people the little steps they need to take, the logical steps that they need to take to get closer to God. So here the Spirit tells Philip, go up to the chariot and stay near it. (laughs) And so what does Philip do? I love this. Then Philip ran up. When God prompts you, pushes you, encourages you, tells you to do, go do it. Go do it, not in your own power, not because you're smart or witty or or self-confident. No, because God told you to do it and do it quick. He runs up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet says, do you understand what you're reading? I can see Philip jogging along, (laughs) looking up at the chariot. Hey, do you understand what you're reading? All right, Philip could care less what this guy thought about him. And you need to stop thinking about what people think about you. Who cares? Who gives a rip what people think about you? You just care what God thinks about you, Amen. right? That's what we need to be like. And so Philip asks, are you, uh, well, I'm reading my own words now here. Let's see. Philip asks, how, how can I? The, Phil, the uh, eunuch answers. he says, unless someone explains it to me. All right? And I, I have this thought here that I wrote down. But, you know, we need to be constantly learning stuff from God so that we have something fresh to give somebody. If I'm telling somebody some lesson I learned 10 years ago, it gets stale, you know? I need something new and fresh from God. I'll tell you every day, but every week's fine too, all right? I need something fresh from God because then if it's fresh to me, I'm ready to give it to someone else and say, hey, I read the coolest thing in the Bible the other day and it blah, blah, blah. I, I've never done that once where it didn't help somebody. Never. Get something fresh from God every day or at least every week. All right. And so uh, he invites Philip into the chariot, uh, the passage of scripture. He reads it. The eunuch asks Philip, tell me, please, who's the prophet talking about? And Philip uses this to tell him about the good news of Jesus. And on Wednesday night, I want to show you how you can use any and every conversation to get to Jesus. Now, you don't don't do this all the time. I mean, you have to be led of the spirit because Sometimes, like I was, I was sitting in a car with this guy, and he said that something was totally wrong. Here's what he said: He said all religions lead to uh, to God. All religions do. And it was the strangest thing. I usually would jump, and say, "No, can I just share some thoughts?" And then I I try to debunk that myth because it's not true. But you know, it was the strangest thing. I felt the Lord tell me, "Don't say anything. Just let it go," which was totally against my my nature because I felt like this is not true. This is not. So you got to listen to the Lord. you got to know when to talk, when not to talk. Know when to hold them, when to fold them, right? <laughs> Just joking. All right. So every conversation can lead to Jesus. And you need, I'll never forget this guy I talked to. He, was, he wasn't a believer, but he was on the verge. And he said, I have, I think it was his sister, it was a diehard Christian. And he said, she always has Jesus stories. She's, and I said, well, what do you mean? What are you talking about Jesus story? Well, he says, Jesus did this. Jesus did that. Jesus did the other thing. She always had Jesus stories. We need our Jesus stories. Fresh ones, new ones, exciting ones. Little things that God has done for us or big things that God has done for us. So anyways, they travel along the road. They come to some water. The eunuch says, well, look, there's some water. What's standing me from being baptized? Philip baptizes him. And then something unbelievably extraordinary happens. When they come out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly takes Philip away. In other words, he disappeared. (laughs) And the eunuch never saw him again, but he went away rejoicing. And here's the thing. You you come in and out of people's lives. You might just have two minutes with somebody, and the Spirit of God is prompting you, take advantage of that moment, because they may never see you again. They probably won't see you again. So, we should have two driving passions in our lives. I'll end with this. Two driving passions in our lives. And that is to see people's lives changed. See people's lives changed. I was doing some training just a couple of weeks ago in California. And I asked the question of this group of leaders. are seven directors. And I said, do you think people can change? And one lady looked at me. She said, No. <laughs> And my guess is that lady must have somebody in her life that has been there that way for 30 years and they haven't changed. And she says, they, nobody, no, people can't change. So the, the table that I was talking to said, well, they can grow. They can grow. And I wouldn't get to b- debate them. I'll tell you, God is in the life-changing business. He wants to change us, transform us, make us into a much better version of ourselves. So we should be passionate about change lives and we should be passionate about disciples making disciples. I want so bad, and I think I'm probably already there, but I want to see more of this. I want to lead somebody to the Lord and then I want that person to lead somebody to the Lord. And I want to have spiritual grandkids and great grandkids and a whole lineage, a genealogy of of people, I'll never forget seeing this, this uh, picture that Kai Alpha a ministry for universities, they had a picture of eight or nine people, and they told the story how the first guy on the left, my left, you're right, <laughs> how he had led the person sitting right beside him, and that person had led the person right beside him, and there was a nine-generation span right there of, of disciples making disciples. Man, I'll tell you what, that's the most thrilling, aggravating, but thrilling, frustrating thing you can do, man, is lead people to Jesus and then mentor them, encourage them, help them along the way until they get to be everything that God wants them to be. Let's pray.